Chapter 9 What Lucy Saw Susan and the two boys were bitterly tired with rowing before they rounded the last headland and began the final pull up Glasswater itself. And Lucy's head ached from the long hours of sun and the glare on the water. Even Trumpkin longed for the voyage to be over. The seat on which he sat to steer had been made for men, not dwarves, and his feet did not reach the floorboards. And everyone knows how uncomfortable that is, even for ten minutes. And as they all grew more tired, their spirits fell. Up till now, the children had only been thinking of how to get to Caspian. Now they wondered what they would do when they found him, and how a handful of dwarves and woodland creatures could defeat an army of grown-up humans. I'm Katie, and this is Bethy, and together we're exploring Prince Caspian. In Chapter 9, the Pevensies and Trumpkin continue their journey to Caspian, most of them dead tired from rowing and wandering in a time-altered landscape. Only Lucy is awake to see the trees nearly awaken. When the party becomes lost, only Lucy sees Aslan beckoning them up the gorge, and so the rest of the party outvotes her and goes the other way. This is such a brutal chapter. My goodness, yes. It felt like the whole way through, morale is low, and faith is low, and things are not going how they should. Honestly, it brought to mind two books, one being Jane Eyre, Mm-hmm. And the other being Ella Enchanted. Okay. Which Both feels similar. Lovely stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But they start off with moments of such extreme injustice mm. that I've never been able to read them. Oh, because the very beginning. Yeah. I start and I have to stop. It's terrible. Wow. Maybe you should start in chapter two. Probably. I don't know what it is about them, but. I just cannot get past those first chapters that are just filled with such cruelty. I can't read it. So did you see injustice in this chapter? I mean, yes. Okay, that's not the word that came to mind for me. Go ahead. Oh, really? No, no. Oh, my gosh. For Lucy, you mean? Yeah, for Lucy. She is not believed. She is a woman who has seen something and people don't believe her. And it just feels way too real. The world is filled with that again and again and again. How many times have I not been believed because I'm a woman? And reading that is really, really hard. It's too real. Hmm. What did you see? Uh, I felt more like a, a failure of heart on the part of the other companions. Like they're stretched to the limit physically, emotionally. A huge impact from the rowing, the wandering, the heavy climb, carrying stuff. They're spent. I'm preaching on uh, Jesus's temptations in the wilderness this week. And it felt like that, like after 40 days, he was hungry. Like this is at the low point when they're Mm. really susceptible to giving into temptation and acting in bad faith. And they all do. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. That is a nicer way to look at it is through their perspective rather than Lucy's. It's a little more swallowable. Yeah, I mean, it's disheartening, too, because... We all have moments of being in that spot and to think, oh, gosh, I'm probably going to, I don't know. It's so easy to act that same way. Yeah. It's interesting that Lucy was spared from all that tiredness and then she gets to be the one who has this vision. I don't know. It's in a certain way I could see how the others would resent her for it all. Yeah. But what she's supposed to do about it, I mean. Right. None of it is her fault. Mm -hmm. But I guess there's some injustice there as well. Katie, there's this weird moment right in the middle of the chapter where a bear attacks the whole group, but I think probably mostly Lucy, Mm -hmm. and Trumpkin kills it, 
and Susan considers killing it, but isn't quite sure that it's not a talking bear. And so she doesn't. Anyway, it's kind of odd and it has nothing to do with the rest of the story. Right. So what do you think the bear sighting contributes to the chapter? I was wondering that too. To me, just the tone of it fit with the chapter as a whole and added to the tone of the chapter, the discouragement that's going on, the sense of how Narnia has changed played really heavily in this chapter. There's the geographical changes. The river is now in a gorge because it changed the landscape over time and they don't know their way around anymore. And the strangest and scariest thing of all is that the animals can't all talk anymore. It's such a decline in how things should be. And Lewis hits home with that by saying, what if it happened in our world too? And some people went wild on the inside, but still acted and looked like normal people. So you couldn't tell. Didn't that feel so real too? Oh gosh. And that's one place that feels to me a little heavy handed, but also like, wow, he's really trying to say something here. Yeah. It's in that context that everybody falters and fails to trust Lucy's report of Aslan. Hmm. It's in that context that Aslan shows up and is about ready to offer them some new hope, but they're stuck in this world. They can't look up. What did you notice showing up about Susan's character in this chapter? Yeah, that was an interesting one because every character has something important in play in this chapter. Mm. Peter understands where they're meant to be going. Edmund gives lots of encouragement. True. At one point... Peter gets confused and Trumpkin gives some clarity. Mm-hmm. And then Lucy sees Aslan. Yeah. Meanwhile, Susan decides not to shoot the bear and she doesn't know where they are and is very, very clear about that. Like, I've never seen this wood in my life. I really don't remember what direction we're supposed to be going. And she says it in this super annoying way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I feel like she kind of gets a little bit of the short end of the stick, but... On my second read through, I actually noticed a couple of things. I think we actually get a clearer sight of her character in this hmm. chapter. Okay. We see again that she's gentle. She doesn't want to kill. For sure. When it's time for the bear to be skinned, she doesn't want to see that either. And in some ways, I'm like, I don't really like the gender roles that are in play here. And in other ways, I'm like, yeah, actually, me either. Mm. Like mm -hmm. when Joshua kills a deer, I really do not want to be around to watch that process. So I get it. And yeah. when Lucy brings up this issue of wouldn't it be dreadful if someday in our own world at home, men started going wild inside like the animals here and still looked like men so that you'd never know which were which? We've got enough to bother about here and now in Narnia, said the practical Susan, without imagining things like that. Hmm. In some ways, I'm practical. like, yeah, that's a little annoying, but it's practical. It's helpful. Like somebody's got to keep things going. <laughs> Right. Like, we don't need to fall down that hole right now. Lastly, I appreciate how honest she is. Hmm. No, she doesn't have a map in her head, and neither do I. <laughs> and she gets judged for that, but she then doesn't, like, try to hide it and say, like, oh, yeah, well, I, I kind of remember where we are. Mm. She says again later on, nope, no idea. I'm <laughs> going to need help here. And I just really like the humility in that. But when she's talking about, I don't know where we are, I don't think she's being humble. I think she's being super rude and annoying. Her oh, really? whole purpose, like, I don't. I've never seen these woods in my life before. In fact, I thought all along we ought to have gone by the river. And <laughs> yeah, Peter that says, part wasn't then great. Then you might have said so at the time with pardonable sharpness. And then she says again, I hope you're right. I can't remember all that at all. I, I feel like she's just trying to undermine, like, she's just sulking. She's so tired mm. and she's sulky. 
Yeah. It's just a no, piece I've, of her. I but felt that way for out. sure. I definitely had to ask myself, like, what is going on in Susan's character as I was reading this mm. in order to find what I found? And that does come later when Lucy's trying to convince them that she saw Aslan. She says, don't be angry, Lou, but I do think we should go down. I'm dead tired. There, it, I do hear a little more humility. Mm-hmm. She's still wrong and she tries to egg on Peter. I do hope that you'll vote I this know. way. <laughs> That's such an annoying moment. <laughs> I just feel like we get more of Susan here than we normally do. Mm-hmm. Kitty, did you catch that Edmund is a rock climber? In my book, it's page 129. It says, on the far side, the cliffs rose much higher. None of the party except Edmund, and perhaps Trumpkin, was a rock climber. I did not see that. <laughs> that is too fun. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Wow. <laughs> we don't know about Trumpkin. Just another reason to love Edmund. Mm-hmm. And speaking of moments that we love Edmund for. <laughs> Where's this Bali Rush got to? Just oh, yeah. That was so cute. <laughs> he was just and gallant and clear-minded when it came to the vote about if Lucy saw Asland or not. Yes. First off is the one that suggests a vote. Edmund the Just. We ought to hear everybody's opinion. Says his bit, doesn't force it, but votes in favor of Lucy based on his past mistake in disbelieving her. We ought to believe women. And this woman specifically. She's got a history of some clear vision. She does. Well, our sacred reading practice today is Pardes, which is a Jewish reading practice where we'll take a line and go through one layer of meaning at a time. Bethy, would you flip through the chapter and put your finger on a sentence? Certainly. I got the sentence, cross it and strike uphill, and we'll be at the stone table, Aslan's how I mean, by eight or nine o'clock. Awesome. So our first level of reading is Peshat, which is the literal meaning and the context. What's happening in this sentence? Okay, so they're trying to figure out exactly where they are. They don't recognize it, but they do have Peter's compass. Mm -hmm. A couple of them have got incredible memories of exactly where everything is. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to head toward the Fords of Baruna, or Baruna's Bridge, as the DLF calls it. Mm-hmm. And then they'll cross the river and go uphill. And then they'll be there. This is a moment when things seem to be going pretty well. Mm-hmm. We've got a clear vision. They do eventually uh, accomplish this plan, but they're turned around by an unforeseen barrier in the form of an army. <laughs> so that's where we're headed with this literal definition. <laughs> so our next layer of reading is Ramez. What we're going to do is choose just one word from this sentence and think of all the resonance it has in the rest of the book, the chapter, the series, and let's go ahead and think of resonance with scripture as well. So is there a word in that sentence that stands out for you? Can I read it one more time? Please do. Cross it and strike uphill, and we'll be at the stone table, Aslan's how I mean, by eight or nine o'clock. The word uphill is coming to mind for me. What about for you? Hmm. I was having trouble choosing a word, more the tone of commands and here's what's going to happen. But right. that's not really a word. It's kind of an odd sentence. Right. I suppose will be would be the place to go for that. But uh, <laughs> we could let's go with uphill. It sounds a little more straightforward. <laughs> hmm. So where do we see hills in these stories? There's the hill that Diggory and Polly go up with Fledge where the garden and the tree of life are. 
the one I thought of too. And not that this connection was intended, but looking for resonance is pretty important there to go through the gate, not climb over the wall. There's a certain way you're supposed to go into that garden. Oh, yeah. And this, got direction this chapter has quite a bit of, sure, you're going the logical way, but it's not the right way. Also, the final battle against the White Witch, doesn't that take place on a hill? It well may. I'm getting it mixed up with the video, I mean the movie version now. Yeah, I think I am too, so I'm not quite sure. Definitely the stone table is on a hill. Yes. Which has since been heightened. And then there's several hills that I'm thinking of in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Mm, looking ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking specifically of a couple of islands yeah. that are mostly hills. True. And there's also lots of hills in The Horse and His Boy. There's the original hill that Shasta longs to go over and see what's in the oh, north. Yeah. There's mountains, but also running uphill and downhill. I don't know if the yeah, hermit he is on the top a of a hill or at least a rise. Mm -hmm. Kashban is built as a hill. Yep. Jerusalem is a city built on a hill. And the hills are a place of protection. They're um, like a shield against enemies for yeah, the Israelites. Yeah, I think of like, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? Mm -hmm. Which there is a contrast saying, you might think that the hills are your help, but actually my help is from the Lord. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Mm. And Jesus is crucified on a hill. Mm -hmm. I'm not seeing strong, strong connections, but there is a feeling of making plans and accomplishing stuff that some of our hill references are drawing out. And I think in contrast to like Calvary's hill, I don't know, there's that line that you've quoted before about humans make plans, but the Lord establishes their steps, which is very much what happens in this chapter. Mm. I don't know, in some ways, these hills are attempts to seize a high place or to establish security, but the Lord takes a hill to die on. Mm. Is that what that phrase comes from? Like, this isn't my hill that I'm going to die on? Or oh, like, gosh. I'll die on this hill? I think I've associated it more with just battles, like where are you going to stand your ground and where are you going to retreat? Yeah, me too. I don't know. <laughs> I kind of hope so, or I'm going to have to take the phrase a lot more seriously. Yeah, for real. You know, there's that verse that says, uh, don't say we're going to go here and there and do such and such. Say, if the Lord wills, we're going to go here and there. I don't know, yeah. it's like Paul or something. They forgot that. <laughs> Well, our next level of reading is Darash. If you were going to proclaim this sentence, if you were going to preach a sermon on this sentence, what would it be about? Oh, wow. Such an odd one to preach on. It is. Maybe daylight savings time? <laughs> that is coming up. <laughs> Cross it and strike up hill, and we'll be at the stone table, Aslan's how I mean, by eight or nine o'clock. There's just so much certainty in this. He even knows the time of day that they're going to arrive. Mm-hmm. He goes on to say, I hope King Caspian will give us a good breakfast. Great. And later, there's this great line where it says, they had all stopped imagining breakfast by now, let alone dinner. Right. They're not even mentioning dinner. I think I would preach about that verse that you mentioned, that the Lord establishes our steps despite our plans. Hmm. Unless they are ordained and blessed, they are fruitless. Hmm. Yeah, I think I would too. I mean, to be fair, so far they haven't done anything wrong or gone off track. And so more it's just the certainty that's a bit naive. Right. And perhaps if they hadn't been so certain, it would have been easier to accept the changes plan that come later. Yeah, maybe there's some pride that comes in with this. Mm-hmm. And there is something to prove. Like, they keep being thwarted in their memory of how Narnia is shaped, for which is frustrating. I mean, they do know a lot about it, and it 
isn't really fair that it's been a thousand years since I've been there and it's changed. But there is something about, you know, wanting to reclaim that piece of their identity. It would be super frustrating. Mm -hmm. Well, our last level of reading for Pardes today is sewed or secret. So let's read the sentence one more time and listen and see if God whispers any message. Cross it and strike uphill. And we'll be at the stone table, Aslan's how, I mean, by eight or nine o'clock. Wow, I I wasn't reading along, just listening. And for some reason, as you started reading the sentence, it really felt like an incantation or something, like cross it and strike and da-da-da, and (laughs) and we'll be there by nine o'clock. And I don't know, almost like we think of cause and effect, like an incantation. Like if I do the right things, I'll get the right results. Oh, yeah. As if we're in control. I mean, that's what this type of magic is about, is control. And that's, it's a faulty kind of magic. It won't, won't work forever. Hmm. That's a good sewed. I love that. Yeah, it really surprised me. <laughs> Cross it and strike. Da, da, da. Yeah. <laughs> Today's scripture reading is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. And this is actually one that I teach my dancers. We have a tiny little dance that we do to this, my like three through five-year-olds. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. That fits in so well with everything we've been discussing. We're trying to establish our plans, lean on our own understanding, cast an incantation over cause and effect. (laughs) But no, don't lean on that. Trust in the Lord, submit to him. He'll make your paths straight, straighter than you can devise them. Something that's frustrating to me in this chapter is that not only do they not trust Lucy, but they don't trust Aslan either. Mm -hmm. Where do you see that most visibly? Well, it's so clear in their history that if Lucy sees Aslan, it's true. Yeah. They ought to trust in Aslan's patterns. They know him. Mm. But they don't, they don't trust, not with their whole hearts. And he would have made their path so easy. Mm. At least I think so. We find out later, of course, we'll never learn what would have happened. True. But he had a plan. Yeah. I wonder why Aslan chose to reveal himself to Lucy and not to everyone. I almost think Lucy was the only one looking for him. Could be. And in a certain way, to reveal himself visibly like he did to Lucy, to all of them, would be almost irresistible. Like there'd be no question, Mm. of course, We've got to follow. Yeah. But the way that he chose to reveal himself through the witness of another person, I don't know, it demanded the kind of trust that they didn't come up with yet. Right. But it was a chance to trust. It's a good question. Interesting that Lucy sees him right on the heels of Trumpkin giving his great bit of wisdom, which is super helpful, saying the country may have changed. We might not be as lost as you thought. Let's keep trying. They're all super relieved. Trumpkin, you're a brick. Okay, let's go down the gorge. And then Lucy says, look, look, look. It's not that Trumpkin was wrong to say that, but it's like the best of practical wisdom that Trumpkin can offer set against this illogical but right trust. Mm, That is so cool. Because how often does Christianity actually make logical sense? (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's the line, he wants us to go this way and up, not down. Just the opposite of the way you want to go. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) How do you know? I just know. The only question Peter says is whether Aslan was really there. 
But I know he was, said Lucy. Yes, Lou, but we don't. I hate that he said that. Hmm. Because she knew that should have been good enough. Her knowing should be the same thing as them knowing. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's how the body of Christ is designed to work. Like a gift for one person is for everyone to receive. Right. And not to is like saying, I don't need you to the hand or the eye or whatever. Ugh. Something that doesn't become true just because you've experienced it. Right. That's not the only way to get trust. In fact, what is that that Jesus says, blessed are they who haven't seen and yet believe? Mmm. Snaps to that. <laughs> Katie, do you have a workshop for us today? I've been doing this experiment with my fiance, who is, he really enjoys um, living a disciplined life being methodical about things, especially when it comes to his exercise routine. And he sometimes does a diet plan to go along with like meeting some physical goal, um, whether it's getting ready for a sports season or whatever. And so anyway, I've been experimenting with him on that. And like, it's been good to be able to picture more of what that part of his, like that interest of his feels like. But I've also felt it adding quite a lot of stress to my life to be basically the exercise part's pretty much fine, but the diet plan where it's like, here's what I'm supposed to eat per day, it's hard for me to figure out, are the pros better than the cons right now of doing this? And so I'm trying mm. to decide whether to continue or modify or throw it out with the trash. Well, what are the pros and cons? Okay, so some pros are, it feels like an exciting challenge to take on. Like, oh man, we're really want to eat that thing, but instead we're going to eat this thing we're supposed to. You know, having a little bit of discipline is like, feels like an accomplishment. Yeah. I just thought of the phrase from Elizabeth Bennett. What did she say? I suppose it is a small sort of accomplishment walking around the room, I guess. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I guess it's a pro that like part of the way the diet we were on is designed is for transferring weight from fat into muscle. And so it's supposed to be like toning and it's a pro, but it's also a complicated one because I don't know, thinking about body image quite a lot. Yeah. Which I guess is one of the con sides is I don't want to be so attentive to that. I want to feel good and like proud of how I'm taking care of myself, but in a good way. I'm not sure if this is the right way. Pro is you don't have to think about what to cook. Con is if you feel like eating something, you can't. And it also doesn't feel like it's a sustainable, like it's a diet to accomplish a certain purpose, which is that transfer of like fat to muscle. It's not like a healthy, balanced diet that you would want to spend your life on. Gotcha. That's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know how to, I, I guess it would just take some thinking to figure out what is a healthy, balanced version and is, is it time to, to try and focus on that? There's just a lot of things to focus on too. And so one con is it feels like one more area of life to be trying to meet a certain bar. Right. I think that's the main thing that's coming up in my mind is like you're getting married in less than two months mm -hmm. and there is a whole lot of other things, things that are filling up your mind and filling up your schedule and maybe being distracted by what's filling up your body is <laughs> helpful, but maybe it's not anymore. Hmm. I mean, recently I did an experiment of quitting shampoo and everyone was glad when I quit that experiment. <laughs> <laughs> So it would be okay to take that approach. It's not like this was failure or something. I definitely don't think it was failure if you choose to quit. You've been doing it for many weeks. I and mean, an experiment is just an experiment. 
Right. To be honest, I'm coming at this with a preset understanding of how I see diets. Hmm. So I want to be careful how much of my own opinion I let loose. And I also want to be cautious about who might listen to this. I don't know. I want it to be helpful, not like the opposite. Not a trigger of some kind. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I would say I was slightly discontent before and now it's like more. Oh, and that feels pretty negative to me. Yeah, that's a dangerous road to walk down. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I am aware that, like, I think I use food as a stress coping mechanism, and it's not probably, like, the best thing to do. And that's part of why I've been missing it while I've been stressed is, like, well, my coping mechanism is gone. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily, like, on the surface bad. Like, okay, great. Like, rely on better things or whatever. But I don't know. Also, all things considered, it's, like, a pretty tame one. Pulling in the chapter, there's one thing that comes to mind, and it's when Lucy is among the trees, Hmm. and she's hoping that they'll wake up and speak to her, and it feels like she's forgotten a date or a name, and she almost remembers it, but it just doesn't quite fit in her mind. She had just missed something, as if she had spoken to the trees a split second too soon, or just a split second too late or used all the right words except one, or put in one word that was just wrong. And I feel like this is not necessarily a bad thing to be doing. Mm. But maybe it's not the right timing. Mm. Or maybe it's not the right diet. Our bodies should feel natural and joyful to live in. Mm -hmm. It is containing your soul. And so it ought to be treated really well. It's the only one you'll get. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And... This might not be the right time to be changing things for it. So many other things are changing for your body and soul right now. Mm. I like the comparison with that passage because it it doesn't add any like you did the wrong thing or you whatever. It's just like "Mm, something's not quite fitting. Right. It's cool that that passage comes up like the trees feel almost irrelevant to the to the chapter. She goes off, has that moment of vision and then just goes to sleep again. And the story continues and we're going to see them again. I wonder what they're doing. But I, I'm glad you brought that up in this context. Hmm. For the record, my fiance has been super great about this and was telling me on the phone this morning, go buy nuts and milk and all the things you like. Aww. So that might be what Good. I'm grocery shopping for today. <laughs> Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, there's just this, said Edmund, speaking quickly and turning a little red. When we first discovered Narnia a year ago, or a thousand years ago, whichever it is, It was Lucy who discovered it first, and none of us would believe her. I was the worst of the lot, I know. Yet she was right after all. Wouldn't it be fair if we believed her this time? I vote for going up. Oh, Ed, said Lucy, and seized his hand. And now it's your turn, Peter, said Susan, and I do hope- Oh, shut up, shut up, and let a chap think, interrupted Peter. I'd much rather not have to vote. You're the High King, said Trumpkin sternly. Down, said Peter, after a long pause. I know Lucy may be right after all, but I can't help it. We must do one or the other. So they set off to their right along the edge downstream, and Lucy came last to the party, crying bitterly. Uh, we have had a time. We'll see you next week with Chapter 10 of Prince Caspian, which will be a lot cheerier, I think. Um, This is such a... Oh, go ahead. Just so you know, um, while you were reading, I had this wrong speaker setting, so 
your audio was coming through onto mine, but you should be able to just delete mine. Oh, yeah, that's okay. fine. Yeah.